If you look at the signatures at the bottom of the Declaration of Independence, John Hancock stands out. On this slide, you see that it's at the top of the group of signatures, and it's centered, and that was because Hancock was the president of the Continental Congress. But legend says that it's so large because as Hancock was writing it out, he said that he wanted the king to be able to read it without his spectacles. In terms of uh, what we're going to be looking at today in the letter of Galatians, Paul is going to write by beginning this last section of the letter by telling us, see with what large letters that I'm writing to you. Now, you'll recall that earlier in this series, we talked about how Paul was one who suffered from poor eyesight. But the reason that Paul is writing with such large letters here is not so much so that he can be able to read it, but rather this is like when we write in all caps or something. We want to emphasize something. We want people to see it and not miss it. And what Paul is doing as he closes out this letter is he's revisiting some of the great truths that he's written to us throughout the letter to Galatians. Now, when I say that Paul has been writing these truths to us, it was common for Paul to use a scribe. When he wrote a letter, he would dictate the letter. God would give Paul the very inspired words. He would dictate them, and a a secretary, a scribe, would write these letters out. We see examples of that throughout the New Testament. In the book of Romans, Tertius tells us in Romans that that he is the scribe in Romans 6.22. But whenever Paul was using a scribe, what he liked to do was as the letter came to a close, he would take up the pen himself, both so people could see that it was Paul's hand that had written it, but he wanted to add words of greeting, some type of personal closure to the letter. We see that uh, in 1 Corinthians 16.21 and Colossians 4.18, both of the letters of Thessalonians end with Paul saying, I'm writing this closing to you. And as Paul often did, they were short, sweet greetings. Uh, like in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.28, 2 Thessalonians 3.18, Paul says the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But as Paul closes out Galatians, rather than that simple, short, sweet greeting, the grace of God be with you, Paul says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you. And then he writes these closing truths for us. So I invite you to look with me now at Galatians 6, 12 through 18, where Paul says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Now, all throughout this letter, you'll recall that Paul has made it crystal clear to us that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus. What God's son did for us on the cross as he died to pay that penalty of death that we owed for our sins, and as he was buried in the tomb and he rose from the dead, that is the gospel message, that when we receive Christ as our personal savior, that is what saves us. 
Anything added to the gospel message of grace changes and negates it, as Paul has said throughout this letter. At the cross, Jesus Christ did everything that was needed to set us free. And that freedom is not just for eternity, not just when we get home to heaven. That freedom is what God wants for us as we live our lives here in the present age. Paul told us that in Galatians 5.1, as he said, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And what the Jewish legalists were pushing was not only a false gospel where works were added in, but they were pushing a different way of life than what God wanted for those who were believers in Christ. God wants us to walk in freedom, to live in freedom, not in this bondage. As you look back through Galatians, uh, Paul told us, in Galatians 5, 1 through 12, that there is a choice between bondage or liberty. In Galatians 5, 13 through 26, we saw that there is a difference between living by the flesh and walking by the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, Paul told us there is a choice of living for ourselves or living for others. And now as Paul closes out the letter, he brings us a fourth contrast here where he says in Galatians 11 through 18 that we can live for the praise of men or the glory of God. And the Judaizers, the Judaizers were these Jewish legalists who were trying to draw people back into the rules and ritual of the Mosaic law. And these Judaizers were those who were living for themselves. Paul says they didn't care about correct doctrine. What they cared about was comfort for themselves. He tells us they were doing everything they could to avoid the persecution that came with preaching the cross of Christ. In verses 12 through 13, we, we see where they're living for themselves as they're, they're worried about their personal comfort. Their main purpose is not to win people to Christ through the message of the gospel. It is not to have the believers like the Galatian Christians grow in grace and walk with God. Rather, what they were doing was they wanted to be able to report how many Gentiles they had converted to Judaism, to this system of laws and rituals. They were counting scalps, so to speak, as they said, how many have been circumcised? How many Gentiles are now uh, proselytes, have converted over to the Jewish uh, system of, of the Mosaic law and the rules and the rituals that went there. They were pre- bringing people under bondage to the law. Their, their goal was to look good outwardly, Paul says, but inwardly the hypocrisy is they were not even living according to the law that they were now imposing upon others. This is something that Jesus Christ battled while he was with them on the earth as he walked among these religious leaders you remember he was always confronting the hypocrisy of this false piety an example of that is in matthew 23 27 where jesus said woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, being a follower of Jesus is not about rules and rituals. It's not about being religious where we're checking off boxes of all the things that we've done. Rather, it is about a personal relationship where we know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, where we've come to faith in him, and where we live for God 
as an overflow, a demonstration of, of our love for God is seen in the overflow of our life where we do live according to the commandments that God has given us, not to be saved, but because we're already saved. Jesus told us in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is an outward demonstration of that inward faith, but it is not what saves us. Like these Judaizers were pushing this false gospel. Now, in addition to wanting to brag about their numbers, the numbers of converts, the other thing they were trying to do was keep from rocking the boat. I want you to remember that in the first century, Rome was in power. Rome was the occupying force there in Jerusalem and all throughout the land of Israel. And Rome had a way of keeping order in, the, in their, their regions. And one of the things that they did was they had approved religions and not. Now, Judaism had become an approved religion of Rome. And part of the reason that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were always trying to get Jesus and the others to, to follow the Mosaic law was because they said, look, we don't want to be at odds with Rome. And Rome has recognized and approved these things. And so if you had these Gentile converts who had been circumcised and came under Judaism, then what they were saying is you're keeping the Romans off our backs because you guys are part of an approved uh, religion. The other thing they wanted to do was control uh, the Galatian believers. You'll remember earlier in Galatians, Paul talked about how they want to have power over you. And if they could get them to follow the old system and the ways things were done, then the, the Judaizers would not only have peace with Rome, but they wouldn't have problems with this competing system. And so, again, this is where Paul says, you're more concerned with, with personal comfort and peace with the world than you are with peace with God, as he'll talk about here in a moment. But Paul was not a man pleaser. You remember he told us that very clearly back in Galatians 1.10. There he said, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, Paul says, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. When Paul placed his faith in Jesus Christ, what he did was he took himself and from the list of the most favored. Remember, he was, he was Saul the Pharisee who had a career that was up and to the right. Saul, as a Pharisee, was, was on a, the, the path of a rising star. And when he came to faith in Jesus Christ after his encounter with the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus, he went from the most favored list in Judaism to the most wanted list. The Jews began to persecute and seek the death of Paul. The Romans were those that were a tool being used as Paul was imprisoned, as Paul, Paul spent nights you know, under Roman guard as a prisoner and ultimately would be facing death for his faith in a Roman prison. And so what Paul says is, I, I could have had peace. If I wanted to be, uh, you know, like the Judaizers, none of this persecution would come. And if you want to see just how bad the things were that Paul suffered, you can read in 2 Corinthians. Because in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 28, Paul tells us some of the things he suffered in order to share the gospel. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. The Galatians knew about this because it happened in Lystra, which was right there in their region. Paul says, they stoned me within an inch of my life. They left him for dead. He goes on and says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. 
And then he goes on to describe the dangers and and deprivations that he went through uh, to serve Christ. And Paul could have avoided it all. All he had to do was fall in line with the Judaizers, not preach the cross of Christ, compromise the good news of the gospel. I want you to think about your own life this morning. I want you to ask yourself, are you like Paul? Are you somebody willing to stand for your faith and all that may come with it, the consequences that could come as you stand for Jesus Christ? Or are you more like the Judaizers where you're men pleasers and you're saying, I just want peace at any cost. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to make waves. I'm going to take the path of least resistance. Now, as I ask you if you're willing to stand for your faith, this is very important to understand. I'm not asking you if you're willing to be religious. I'm asking you if you're willing to talk about the truth of the gospel. You see, in the world, the world really doesn't mind religion. I don't know if you've spent a whole lot of time thinking about this, but the world is is really not that upset with people who are religious. Now, hear me out for a moment. You probably have friends, co-workers, classmates, others who uh, will quote you religious leaders. They'll talk about Gandhi. They'll talk about Confucius or Buddha. You know, the world doesn't mind religion. In fact, they like some of the things that religion brings, the good works that help out society. They like some of the platitudes, the, the sayings, the teachings. You know, the world even likes Jesus. The world will tell you that Jesus was a good man. He was a good model of a servant. He was a great teacher. But what the world does not like is hearing that Jesus was the Son of God. The world does not like hearing that we are under judgment because we are sinners. You see, when you're moving from religion, where it's just doing good works and good stuff, the world is okay with that. But when you move to the heart of the gospel that says man is sinful and fallen and man is separated from God and the only way that we can get to God is through Jesus Christ. I said they don't, they don't mind Jesus, but they don't like when we say he is the son of God. We don't like when we say Jesus told us in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. And so there is a difference between being religious And there is a difference between having a relationship with Jesus Christ and sharing the truth of the gospel. And for Paul, when he shared the cross of Christ is where the persecution came. The Judaizers, the Jewish system was okay to the Romans as long as you didn't talk about the cross, as long as you didn't hold up Christ as God and not worship the Roman emperor as God. And so this is the heart of the letter. This is what Paul has been talking about all throughout. You know, the reason that legalism was so appealing even to the Galatian believers, the reason why legalism in our day is appealing to people is because it appeals to our flesh. I said a moment ago, people don't like to hear that they're sinful and fallen. People don't like to hear there is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to earn our way to God. And we say, whoa, 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 I I have to have a part in this. You know, we say, well, I'll have faith in God plus something. And remember, that was what Paul battled all throughout the letter of Galatians. He said the gospel is faith alone through Christ alone and nothing else. And so when you add anything in, you are changing the gospel of grace. And the reason that legalism 
and works draws so many in is it flatters our flesh. It appeals to our ego as it says, I have some part in getting to God. Friends, the only part we have in getting, the only part we have in our salvation is providing the need for it. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We as sinners created the need for a Savior. That's the only part we play. God draws all men and women to himself. God is the one who provided Jesus Christ as the full and complete payment, the sacrifice uh, for our sins. Again, I want to remind you, Paul the Apostle had been Saul the Pharisee. Saul had been a Judaizer. Saul had been the guy promoting the law and the works and saying, you've got to do all these things. Paul, before he was the apostle, he was Saul, the learned Pharisee. He was a rabbi who knew the scriptures forward and backwards. He knew the scriptures pointed to a promised Messiah who would come. But the way that the world and the Jews and others were looking for the Messiah was to be this military conqueror who would overthrow Rome, who would bring peace and comfort in this world. And what God said is the Messiah is coming to ultimately bring peace to the world, but that will be in a different time, a different age when the kingdom is established. And so Saul the Pharisee knew there would be a Messiah, but what he didn't have room for in his thoughts and theology was a suffering servant who would die on a cross. Remember, the law said that the cross was cursed. Cursed is any man who dies on a cross, as we saw earlier in Galatians. And so Saul rejected the cross. It was a, it was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of curse. And so for Saul, he couldn't accept the Jewish Messiah being this suffering servant. And yet when he had his encounter on the road to Damascus with the resurrected Lord, and when he saw the truth of who Christ was, and he saw the resurrection in, in front of him, as he saw the resurrected Lord, he came to understand exactly who Jesus was. The cross was a stumbling block before But now it became the very foundation of his message where he says, Christ has died for our sins. The cross means liberty. Paul has made that clear all throughout this book. It means liberty from ourself, as we saw back in Galatians 2.20, where we've been crucified with Christ. It's liberty from the flesh, as we saw in Galatians 5.24. And as we see today in Galatians 6.14, it is liberty from the world. In this system, without the cross, we are lost. It is only through what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty of death that we owed for our sins that we are saved. That's why another letter that God had Paul write to us, the letter of Ephesians, tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. Now, why is it that Paul tells us there in Ephesians 2.9 that when we understand what the cross means, that God did it all, that we should not boast? And yet here, as he's writing in Galatians, he says, I boast in the cross. Is this a contradiction? No. You have to understand the context. There in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where we're talking about salvation and how we're saved and what God did to save us, Paul says the boasting there is the prideful arrogance that says, I have a part in it. And Paul says, I came to realize that I had no part in my salvation. 
And so what was crucified there in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 was not just our Savior who rose from the dead proving he was the Son of God, but it crucified the pride that we have. As Paul talks here in Galatians about boasting in the cross, the word means it has the meaning of praise. Paul says, when I realize God did it all, I praise him. I thank him for the gift that he gave to us. It's what we find in 1 Corinthians one thirty one, where it says, let him who boasts, boast in the, in the Lord. Paul says the only thing we have to boast in is the cross of Christ. That's what we promote. Not like the Judaizers who were promoting themselves. In Philippians, Paul, another letter God had him write. Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 6 through 9 as a prideful, arrogant Pharisee. There Paul is telling everybody how he thought he was saved by what he did and who he was. You remember he says, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He talks about, as to the law, a Pharisee, one who kept it. He goes on and he's building this, this resume out about who he was and what he's done and why he thought that he would be saved. And he even says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more and as Paul is, is finishing his impressive resume, he then tells us this in Philippians 3.8. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul gathers up all that he's done. His resume is all his works, all his background, who he is. And he says, when I pile it all up and I look at it, it's rubbish. And maybe you're picturing a a tidy, nice, neat little pile where you've kind of gathered trash together in your home. But that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul tells us here is very, very graphic. Paul uses a Greek word that is, I'm sorry to be graphic here, but Paul does this. He says it is literally human excrement. And the word that he uses is, would be akin to a cuss word in our day. I won't even tell you the Greek word because you'll be running around trying to cuss in Greek now. And, and this is what Paul does. He says, when I looked at my life, when I piled it all up, when I looked at what I had done, he says, I'm holding all my diplomas, all my good works, all my degrees, everything that I've done. And he says, as I looked at it, I realized, you know what the body produces? Human excrement. And what Paul says is, those of you who are trying to save yourselves by the works, those of you who are living in the flesh, who think, I'm going to do things that will make me acceptable to God, imagine yourself standing at the gate of heaven saying, God, this is what my, my body produced, and this is why I deserve to be led into heaven. And God, who is a holy and perfect God, will look at that and go, that's disgusting. You, you, you would be mortified if somebody walked up to you holding that in their hand, but that's how we appear to a holy God. We are sinful. We are dirty. We are fallen people. And when Paul realized there is nothing he could do to earn his way into heaven, he says, I went and I washed my hands and I washed myself in the blood of Jesus Christ because it is the blood of Christ 
that washes away our sins. That is what makes us acceptable. He tells us in Philippians 3, 9, that I may be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That is the gospel. That is the gospel message all throughout the scriptures. That is the gospel message even in the Old Testament. I mentioned earlier that Paul, Saul the Pharisee, couldn't see a suffering servant, but all he had to do was read Isaiah 53, which tells us by his stripes we are healed. It is through the sacrifice of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, that we are saved. The marks on our body like physical circumcision do not save us. It was the marks that the Messiah suffered as he was crucified to die that saved us. Our salvation is, is not found in works, but through faith in what Jesus did for us. So I want you to look at your own life again today and ask yourself, what are you trusting in? What is it that you think will make you acceptable to God? If this were the moment you were to die and you were to stand at the gate of heaven and God said, why should I let you in? Would you come with your resume, God, this is who I am and what I did? Or would you come and say, there is nothing that I offer except for the sacrifice of your son, my savior, Jesus Christ, who died to pay the penalty for my sins, the one who has washed me clean. And if you've received Jesus as your personal Savior, God will not even have to ask you the question, your name is written in the book of life, and you will be welcomed into heaven because God knows you as a part of his family. You have been adopted as a son or a daughter of God. When we come to faith in Christ, we we are made a new creation. Verse 15 speaks of a new creation, and 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, again, this doesn't mean that once we come to Christ that we no longer sin. We we are moving through a process of sanctification to where we will ultimately be glorified when we walk through the gates of heaven. But we are sinful and fallen people. And as we live our lives in this this place that we call planet Earth, there are going to be times that we will sin. We will fall back into sin. First John one ten says, if we say that we have no sin, we make God a liar. And right before that, it tells us in First John one nine that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God offers us again the way to be made clean, the way of forgiveness. And he does call on us to live for Christ. And as we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, we will sin less and less because we will become more and more like Christ. And as we walk with him, the things of the world, we will, we will no longer want to do those things. And that's why Paul says there is freedom from the world through the gospel. Now, there is a day where sin will be eradicated in the coming kingdom Uh, When we are made perfect, when we walk through the gates of heaven, our sin nature is gone. We are made perfect, just like Christ. And until that day comes, we're called to walk with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's something that we saw all throughout Galatians chapter 5 in the first part of Galatians 6. And for those of us who understand and follow the truth of the gospel, Paul tells us here in verse 16, we will have the blessing, he says, of peace and mercy. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, there we're told, for the mind set on the flesh is death, 
But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Again, in Romans, in 5.1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our sin separated us from God. It broke fellowship. All the way back to the Garden of, uh, of Eden, where Adam and Eve were walking with God in fellowship. When sin entered the world, you remember they ran and hid themselves. They became aware of who they were, and, and, and sin entered, and it broke fellowship. And God entered in, and he provided the way to restore our broken fellowship through the Messiah. The cross becomes a bridge that allows us to be brought back into, you know, this relationship with God that he has with us, that he's always wanted. But when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. And if you do not come to faith in Christ, you will remain separated from God for all eternity. It's why those in Revelation are sent to the lake of fire, the second death, what we call hell, because they're separated from God for all eternity because they never received the gift of grace that God offers to those who come to faith in Christ. And when we do, through the basis of God's mercy, where he provided his son as the sacrifice, we are able to have peace. The relationship is restored And as we live according to this relationship that is restored with God, he says that the gospel is a rule. Now, again, remember the Judaizers were pushing the rules and rituals of the Mosaic law. And Paul isn't saying, hey, give up this this system of this rule for that rule. The word rule describes kind of a standard, a way of living. And he says, if you get off the treadmill of performance where you think I can earn my way to God and what do I have to do today to be acceptable and instead you rest in the relationship, there's going to be peace. You're going to have this this peace that passes all understanding, the scriptures tell us, in our life. And so he offers us this settled peace as we live our life knowing the Lord of life. Remember, Paul has been giving these contrasts. There's bondage versus freedom. We can serve God or ourselves. And he says, if you will come to my son, I offer you this peace. There is liberty, no longer bondage. Now, as we're looking at verse 16, uh, I want you to look at your, your Bibles because there it says at the end of verse 16, as we're talking about the peace and mercy, notice it says peace and mercy be upon them, and then you have the word and, peace and mercy be upon them and upon Israel of God. Now, it would be very easy for me just to skip over this, but there's a very important truth here uh, in terms of something called replacement theology. Replacement theology is where some say that the church, which is made up of believing Gentiles as well as believing Jews, has replaced the nation of Israel. And, and that is a, a theology that is not supported by the scriptures. The Bible is very clear that God has covenants and promises for the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom and others. And we as the church, as Gentiles, we have been grafted into the nation of Israel, but we have not replaced Israel. And this is a passage that is sometimes used to support replacement theology because people either uh, mistranslate this passage or they ignore what is there. And this is why I'm making such a big deal about this because it's very important to understand that we're dealing with two distinct groups here. 
First of all, that word chi, which is the Greek conjunction that is translated as and, makes very clear there are two things. There is this, the group he calls them. These are the Gentile believers. And then he says there is the Israel of God. So these are two distinct groups. We also see that grammatically in the, tra- in the translation. Some of you have the word to or upon, and you'll notice that that's repeated twice, upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so these are two distinct groups. The second thing that's important to note is that word Israel. The word Israel is found 73 times in the New Testament. And 72 of the 73 times, it is very specifically dealing with the nation of Israel, the ethnic Jews. So to say this one time where there could be you know, a little confusion about what's there that suddenly we're going to take it to mean Gentile Christians are, are now in this group would be inconsistent. Paul would not take something and 72 times in the New Testament, he changes the meaning of it here. So I also want to remind you that what we're looking at here at the end of Galatians is a summary of the whole book. So don't separate this verse from what we've already seen earlier in Galatians, because back in Galatians 3, 6 through 9, uh, Paul had talked about Abraham. Remember, Abraham was the patriarch of the nation of Israel. He was the one that God called to establish the nation of Israel through his lineage. Abraham was the one that this covenant sign of circumcision was given to. And as we saw earlier in Galatians, uh, there was a quote from Galatians 15, 6, in Galatians 3, 6, where it said, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God has already made very clear through the writing of Galatians that Jews are not saved based upon their ethnicity, but they are saved based upon their faith and the promises of God. From Abraham forward, all uh, Jewish people who are saved are saved because of their faith in the promises of God, just as we as Gentiles are saved in our faith in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, You can read through Romans and see that. Paul talks about in Romans 9, 6, where there is a difference between the believing Jew and the unbelieving Jew. And he says in that passage that not all Israelites, Jewish ethnic people physically, are Israelites spiritually. So as we're talking about the Israel of God, we're talking about the saved Jews, the Messianic Jews, the completed ones who have come to receive the Messiah. And we as Gentile Christians, as we saw earlier in Galatians, may not be of Abraham's seed physically, but we are of Abraham's seed spiritually through faith in Jesus Christ. You can go back and read Galatians 4, 28 through 29 and listen to that sermon again if you missed that or need a review of what that means. As believers in Jesus Christ, what is important is a circumcision of our heart, where when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we receive uh, the sign of salvation, so to speak, just as the angel of death passed over the homes where it saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. When the blood of the perfect and permanent lamb, Jesus Christ, is applied to our heart, judgment will pass over us. There is this circumcision that is the the Judaizers saying was a physical sign. And what the scriptures tell us is, no, it is a circumcision inwardly that's important. A few passages that tell us that are Romans 2.29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. 
And, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And Colossians 2.11 tells us, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is what we saw back in Galatians 5.6 and it's what Paul reminds us of here again in Galatians 6.15. It's why he says that neither circumcision nor the lack of it is anything related to the gospel or to God in our salvation because he says it is not the physical mark. It is the mark on the heart. The legalists were pointing to the marks on their body as what saved them, but it's by the marks, as I said, of what Jesus Christ did as he suffered that we are saved. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. In contrast to the now meaningless mark of physical circumcision, Paul says, uh, Look at the brand marks that are on my body in verse 17. Now remember the Galatians, the Gentile Galatians had come out of a system of idolatry. They had been worshiping the false gods of the world, many of them. And they knew that one of the things the pagan priests would do is mark their bodies with the sign of the idol that they served. And so there was this understanding when Paul says, hey, I have marks on my body. The Judaizers were saying the mark of circumcision was important. And Paul says, no, even though he is a, had that because he was circumcised on the eighth day, as he told us back in Philippians 3, Paul says, I have different marks on my body that point to my master, my savior. The Greek word used here is stigmata. And it's a word that was used to describe uh, a sign of ownership where somebody was branded. We brand cattle. Slaves in the horrific days of slavery were branded with the mark of their owner. And those who are forced into slavery who receive a brand mark, that's a detestable thing. But there was also a system of voluntary slavery in the ancient world where you could attach yourself to a master and receive the benefits of care and education. And it wasn't like just a day labor or being abused in a field. Many of these became the highest in society through the education. And if you were a bond servant, you literally attached yourself to the home of your master. What you would do is you would go to the doorpost and they would stretch out the earlobe of your ear and they would drive an awl through your ear and attach you physically to the home. Now, they didn't leave you there. They would take this big nail out of your ear and you had this hole. You think of people with plugs today. You had this big hole and it was a physical brand assigned to others that you were a bond servant. You had attached yourself to a master. And Paul, as he's been giving all these different contrasts, he says, remember the Judaizers who have been trying to avoid suffering and persecution. And Paul says, I have freely attached myself as a bondservant to Christ. And I bear on my body the marks, not necessarily a hole in his ear, but he said, look at the scars from the beatings, from the, the stoning, from all the things that Paul went through. And he said, I proudly bear these marks. When he uses this word bearing, it's the word that is used to describe a woman who carries and bears a baby. And any mom will tell you that there was suffering in the process. There was suffering in carrying the child and then in the birth. 
but all of that faded away with the joy of the new birth. And Paul says there's been suffering in the journey, but it is nothing compared to the joy of being born again, being a a servant of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul ends this letter, as he brings it to a close in verse 18, he ends with a warm and a personal greeting, not only pointing again to the grace of God that has been the theme of this whole letter, but he identifies himself as one who has received that grace as he says, brethren. He says, you fellow believers, I am one as well. And as one who has received the gift of grace, He says we are to go out and share the good news of the gospel and we are to live in that grace. So as we end today, as we bring this great book of grace to a close, I have a question for you. Have you ever received God's gift of grace to you? Have you ever accepted the death of Jesus Christ in your place? Understanding that you are a lost sinner one who has nothing to offer to God, no way to work your way to heaven, but through what Jesus did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty of death for your sins and mine, you say to God, I'm a sinner and I need you. And today I accept your death, Jesus, in my place. I accept your blood as the payment for my sins to wash away the penalty of death that I owe. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you'd like to receive that gift of grace, I invite you now just to bow your heads where you are to pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magic in the prayer. It's just your way of saying to God, I'm accepting your gift of grace today. I am trusting in nothing else but you, Jesus, to be my payment, my Savior, the one who died for me. And today I accept that gift of grace. If you'd like to do that, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I know that I've tried to live a good life, but at times I've disobeyed. I've done things that are wrong, and that's sin. And I know you tell us in the Bible that when we sin, the wages of sin is death. But you also say the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And today, God, I accept Jesus to be my Savior. I accept the gift of his death in my place. I believe he rose from the dead, showing he was who he said he was, the son of God who conquered sin and death. And I thank you that through what you did for me, Jesus, that I can be made a part of your family. So today I'm placing my faith and trust in you. And I accept you, Jesus, as my payment and my personal savior. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that I now have. Thank you for making me a part of your family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, you just became a part of the family of God. And we want to make sure you understand the step you just took and how to help you begin to grow in your walk with God. So will you email us here at waysidechapel.org. You'll find a, a, a web address there that you can click on, info at Wayside Chapel, and send us that. And we would love to send you some information, contact you personally to make sure you understand that step of faith you just took so we can help you to grow in your new relationship with Christ. And for the rest of us who already know the Lord, God calls on us to be his messengers, to go and share this gift of grace, this message of peace through the gospel of Jesus. So would we be faithful to do that till we meet again next week? I look forward to seeing some of you as you join us physically here and worship at our 410 campus. 
member, you need to register online so that we can make sure that we have the capacity available for you if you're coming. And for the rest, we will continue to worship online together. So until next Sunday, God bless you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.